0: If you guys brought your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in, uh, the song of Solomon again, chapter two, and we're going to pick up where we left off, uh, last week, um, last week as we wrapped everything up, um, the, the song ended with a a verse warning, uh, the young ladies not to stir up or awaken love until it pleases. In other words, to be patient and to wait for all that God had in store for them. And sometimes being patient and waiting is one of the hardest things that we do, um, this week, we're going to turn in this song uh, to, uh, to see how they are communicating back and forth to each other and what this relationship really uh, looks like. Um, and so uh, it starts with the, uh, verse 8, and this is the, the, the lady speaking, and she says, The voice of my beloved. Five different times in this passage we'll look at today, she refers to him as her beloved. Uh, it is a term of endearment. It is a, it is a term that kind of builds off of the name of Solomon. When Solomon was born, uh, God told the, the prophet Nathan that he should be named Jeddah, uh, Jediah, and, uh, and that means to be loved by the Lord or beloved by God. And so maybe it's a play on words here, even on the, 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 the Hebrew name that was given to Solomon uh, at his birth. Uh, she anticipates this, her groom arriving and coming to, to take her away. And so they are moving through this, this betrothal period. They're reaching this point where he is going to come and sweep her away and to take her to be with him uh, forever. Let me remind you kind of of the Jewish customs because they, they did things different back then than we do it now. In, in that day and time, a, a groom would go and, and, and a bride would be selected. And we talked about him going and, and, and choosing his bride. There was a, a, an agreement made between the, the groom and the bride's father. Uh, a bride pay, price would have been paid to secure her as his wife. He would then return back home many times and he would add on to his father's house And he would prepare a place for them then to dwell and to live uh, forever together. And then once the home was finished and everything was ready, he would return. Many times uh, the Jewish grooms would love to come in in the, the dead of night. And they would come through uh, on, on horseback and with with lanterns or with torches and they would they would blow the horns and let people know that, that the groom was coming to take away his bride. And and so this is a place that we find ourselves in this Jewish betrothal, is that he has come and he has found his bride. He has gone back now to prepare things For her, Uh, Jesus uses that same imagery to talk about our relationship with him in John chapter 14 where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me in my father's house. There are many rooms, many mansions. And, and if it were not so, he said, I would have told you, but I'm going to go there and prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you can be with me forever. So Jesus is building upon that as he prepares his disciples. But we see that same imagery in this song where, where he's, he's, he's secured his bride. He's made a commitment to her. She's made a commitment to him. They are in the middle of this betrothal period. And, and yet it's, it's, it's kind of a, what theologians would call a, a, a now and yet not yet. She is his bride, but it's not yet been consummated. She is his bride, but, but she's not living with him, and they are not in, in, that, in that 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 final relationship that they will one day experience. And so they are in between these two events where she has been chosen and she has been claimed as his own and, and she has given herself to him and he has given himself to her, but, but they haven't come together yet as husband and wife. And so here we are, we see her looking at him and longing for him and she's anticipating his arrival that he will one day come and, uh, and take her to be his own. Now, I want to say up front, even though we find ourselves in this same place today, you understand that, that much of a, where she is is where we find ourselves today, right? Jesus has come. He has died on the cross. He has paid the bride's price. He has claimed us as his own. And now he's gone back to the Father. But he says, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself so that where I am there you may be also. You can be with me forever. So we find ourselves in the same place that this bride finds herself. And, And yet listen to her as she describes her love for her beloved. Now in her waiting, she is not idle. And neither should we be idle in our waiting. We are anticipating the day of the return of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that we just sit around and say, well, I'm going to do nothing until Jesus comes back. He has left us here with work to be done. He's left us here with things that, that are our responsibility, that we do, that, that usher in the kingdom of God. He's, he's left us here to prepare ourselves as his bride for his coming. We want to be that bride that is spotless, that is radiant, that is ready and waiting for our groom to arrive. And so she's here and she's anticipating his arrival. And the first thing that she says is, there's the voice of my beloved. In order for her to hear the voice of her beloved and to recognize that she is one that is, that is, um, is, is anticipating it. She's listening for his voice. She is familiar with his voice. I wonder how familiar we are with the voice of God. Is the voice of God something that we are hearing and that we are anticipating, that we are actively listening for? Because she is not idle, but she is looking. She is not indifferent, but she is waiting expectantly, eagerly anticipating Him to come. So she recognizes His voice, and she responds with excitement. We, as we are in this moment of of yes and not yet, now and not yet we are caught in between these two worlds where we have become believers of christ we are giving our faith and our heart and our lives to the lord promising ourselves to him as he has promised himself to us we are in this moment of in between and 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 she is there and and she is listening for his voice and we should be doing the same like one who is in love waiting by the phone waiting for that next message longing to hear the voice of the one that we love she says the voice of my beloved behold he comes look she says he is coming he's leaping over the mountains he's bounding over the hills my beloved she says is like a gazelle or a young stag behold there he stands behind our wall gazing through the windows looking through the lattice She is describing his arrival. It is coming. He he is coming from afar, and he is coming toward her. She hears his voice. She hears maybe the rumbles of the chariots that are coming with him, and and she recognizes it as being the one that is coming for her. Behold, he comes. (coughs) Look, she says. He's coming. He's leaping over the mountains. He is bounding over the hills. In other words, he is coming from afar but he's coming quickly, and he's coming in, in excitement of his own. He's, these, these words that are chosen here show him leaping and bounding. It, it's not somebody that's being drug-kicking and screaming, but he is coming for his bride, and he is as excited about this as she is. He is unashamed. Everybody would know that the bride or that the groom is in is route, that he is coming. There's some pep in his step, if you would allow that phrase. It's him being excited that he is getting to come and to claim his bride. He wants to be near her. He climbs the mountains, leaps over the mountains and bounds over the hills, indicating that there's no barrier too great, no limit to where he will go and what he will do. Nothing, nothing will stand between them. So she's not only listening for his voice, but she is looking for his arrival. I wonder if the same could be said about us. Do we live day by day longing and listening for the the coming of our Savior? Do we long or do we get so caught up in the day-to-day stuff that that we just have to get done? That we forget why we're doing it and, and, and the one for whom we are doing it. She compares her beloved, her beloved again, she says, is like a gazelle or a young stag. One commentator said that that means that that, that her lover is aggressive and agile and attractive. He's coming for her and he's coming quickly. One commentator said we would put it in in, in the, the, the vernacular of today and say that he is a beast or he is a stud. He is one that she takes great delight in. And it's a picture of this, of this gazelle, this deer-like animal that's just bouncing over the hills and is coming to, to get her. And, and, and before she knows it, he is there. In verse 9, it says, behold, there he stands. Suddenly, he was right there in front of her, right outside of her home. She says, there he stands behind our wall. He's come inside the the perimeter, inside the fence. In other words, it would be be like we put it in our language that, that there he is at the gate and now he's come through the gate and he's coming down the driveway. He's right here. He's inside the fence. He's coming close. As you read this, you can feel her heart begin to race. Her excitement begins to build. He has come for her. He's gazing through the windows, he's looking through the lattice, and, and, and she begins to see his eyes, and, and, and his eyes are glancing and looking for her. He, he's not a peeping Tom, he's not coming and sneaking in and trying to get a peek of her through the window, that's not what they're trying to say here. He's announced his coming, she's seen him coming from afar, she's heard his voice, she knows, she's preparing herself, she is ready for his arrival. And as he comes, he wants to come up close. He comes inside the gate. He comes up to the window. He wants to look inside the house and see her and make eye contact with her. One commentator said that that in this moment, his eyes are doing the speaking. She can see in his eyes this deep love that he has for her. As he gazes through the window and as he looks at the lattice, here's the look that she has always longed for. Again, he's coming as her lover the one looking for his bride to be he wants to see her eyes he wants to connect with her he wants to make known his intentions when we communicate with one another it's not just the words that we speak but it's the language the body language it's the eye contact it's all of those things together and so in this song we have this picture painted that that he is there and he has come and and, and he's not just barging in but he is there right there outside her door Think about a passage in Revelation 3 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will hear my voice and, and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And, and that's a picture that we get here in the Old Testament that's, that's looking forward to this time that the New Testament talks about where, where there will be intimate fellowship between us and our Savior. He stands at the door and he knocks. I wonder if we hear his knocking today. I wonder as we gather together for worship or as you have private worship in your own home, if you hear him knocking at the door saying, I want you to let me come in. I want to have this fellowship with you. Many times we use that passage in Revelation 3.20 to talk about evangelism and Jesus knocking on our heart's door and asking us to invite him in. That's actually not the context of that verse. It's a verse written to the church, to believers who are already his. And he's saying, I am here and I want to fellowship with you. Would you allow me to come in and let's sit down and let's share a meal? Let's have fellowship. So here he is coming over the hills. He's, 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 he's bouncing, if you will, over the hills. He inside the gate. He's gazing through the windows. He finds her and he speaks to her. And in the next few verses, she relays to us what he said to her. Look at verse 10. My beloved, again, she calls him her beloved. He speaks and he says to me. She was hanging on his every word. And here's what he said to her. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Arise and come away. And and look at the way he honors her. He calls her my love and my beautiful one. My love, the one who has captured my heart. My, My beautiful one, the one who has satisfied my eyes and my longing. He's honoring, he's uplifting, he's respectful in the way that he approaches her and the way that he speaks to her. I got a call this week from a guy wanting some help. And this always gets under my skin. Just so you know this if you ever talk to me. This guy calls me and says, hey, I need some help. And I'm like, really? What, what's going on? Well, me and my old lady, and I'm like, you and your old lady, that just, oh, it's demeaning. It's, it's crude. It's disrespectful. She shouldn't be your old lady. She ought to be the love of your life. And that's the way that this one sees her. She is my love. My beautiful one. And he is inviting her to arise, to pack her bags and let's go. Come away with me. Let's go. Let's the time has come. He's he's it's a picture of him coming to get her and saying, Arise and, and come. We know that her job during this whole period was to get herself ready for that moment. Jesus talks about this in Matthew in 24 and 25. He gives us a lot of signs of the times of his return. And, and in those chapters, he talks about the, 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 the parable of the, the ten bridesmaids, or some translations call it the ten virgins, who are waiting on the groom to arrive and for everyone to be swept away for this great big week-long ceremony that was called a wedding in the Jewish day and time. And remember, five were prepared and five were not. Five had oil for their lamps and five had not. And when, the, when the, the, the groom arrives, the five that are ready go with him and they go into the banquet hall and they share his joy and they celebrate with him. And the other five had to go to town and try to find some oil for their lamp. And they finally show up a day late and a dollar short and they knock on the door and say, we're here now. And he says, I'm sorry, but you're too late. The door's been shut, the celebration's begun, and you'll not be allowed in. Her job as the bride was to get herself ready, and now he is here and he's saying, Arise, my bride, my my love, my beautiful one. You've waited long enough. Come now. Come away with me. Come be mine. Let's leave this place behind, and you come with me. I've got so much more in store for you beautiful picture of when jesus will return and he will take us from this place the only place that we've known and he will take us to the place that he has prepared for us and look at the language the word pictures that he's going to paint to let her know that everything's about to change that everything in her world will be different from from this moment forward look at the words that he says here in verse in verse 11 for behold the winter is past Winter is a time when everything dies back. Everything goes dormant. It's cold. You stay inside. You, you, you're, you're separated from everything outside. He says, but the winter is now past. We've been apart long enough. This love that we've had for each other has, has been separated, if you will, and, and, and now it's, it's over with. The winter is past. A new season has begun. This new season of new life. And listen, winter is necessary. It's necessary. That's that's when a lot of the root work is done that we can't see being done. And and it's necessary. If new life is going to spring, it's necessary. And so the winter had come and it was used, but now the winter is past. He says the next thing is that the rain is over and gone. I never understood that until I went to Africa. We went to Africa, and and, and a lot of the roads there are just red clay roads everywhere you go. And there's hills and there's mountains that you're taking these buses and vans up, and those roads are hard red clay until they get wet. And they tell me they built their school system there around their school season around the rainy season because it's impossible for parents to get up and down those roads safely and get their kids to school they slip and they slide and they end up in the ditch in fact some roads they they purposely make ruts for the two tires to ride in because it, it, even if you have to get down that road in the in the rainy season when it's wet your, your tires will stay in those ruts and and they say choose your rut wisely because you're going to be in it for a few miles the, the rainy season is over. It's gone. It, again, it was necessary. The watering was necessary to grow and produce what's about to be on display. But the rainy season is over. It's time for a new journey. It's time for us to get out and to, to see all that awaits. The flowers are appearing on the earth. The flowers appear. There's new life everywhere. Can you get this imagery in your mind that we've been in this dormant season where we've been doing some work underground and we've, we've been laying a foundation, we've been doing all that, but now it's time for the flowers to spring. Now it's the time for the flowers to, to appear on the earth. Now is the time of singing. The time of singing has come. It's a celebration time. April showers. What bring May flowers? That's the picture that we're painting here through this song. And then he says, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Love is in the air, he says. So here is this, this groom who has arrived now at his bride's place. And he's saying, man, the time is getting so close. It's almost time. I want you to begin to pack your bags and prepare to come with me and, and prepare to, to come away. The winter's past, the rain's over, the flowers are growing, the time of singing has come. Even the turtle dove and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. He uses this vivid imagery that would have been familiar to this girl who had spent her life in the vineyards. It's as if his word pictures were crafted by a master wordsmith. He had rehearsed them and memorized them, and now he is finally reciting them for her. It's like a young man who is proposing to the love of his life. He's planned out every detail of this moment. He's planned it, and now he's executing it perfectly. He uses another figure in verse 13. He says, the fig tree ripens its figs. The vines are in blossom." And they give forth their fragrance. Taste, see, smell. Everything's right for us to come together. Everything's right for this moment to take place. Everything that needs to be done has been done. It's time for the bride to respond to him. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. He repeats that again, urging her to come with him. Just as he has come for her, like this knight in shining armor. Now he's come to carry her away to his castle where they could live happily forever after. Again, a picture of our savior who will one day return. You say, how do we know that he will return? Because he's given us that promise. He has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing his return. And he has gone to prepare this place for you. And he says, I wouldn't tell you that I was coming again if I weren't. But I will come so that you can be with me. Now in verse 14 and 15, there's a lot of discussion over who it is that's actually doing the speaking in these verses. Is he referring to her as his dove? Or is she referring to him as his dove, her dove? Or is this a duet that they would sing together? And as I've studied it this week, I really don't have a a hard, fast conclusion on this. I think it could go either way. I think there's ways to read this that it could be her saying to him or him saying to her or the both of them speaking these words to each other. But listen to, to what they're saying here. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. What's being said here? Well, doves in that day were known to to go into hiding and they would find a little bitty hole in the side of a a rock and they would would burrow up in that, and they would hide and they would look back out, but they would be hidden from the predators that would be around them. Doves were known to hide just out of sight, seeking safety and shelter and protection. And and whether it's him calling her out or whether it's her saying, you've been away way too long, I long to see your face. I long to hear your voice. They are saying to each other, whichever one's doing the speaking, I want to see more of you. I want to hear more of you. I don't want you to keep yourself hidden any longer. I want you to make yourself known. Let me see your face, for your face is lovely. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. Come, make yourself fully known. Let's don't hide from one another any longer. If it's her speaking to him, she could be saying, it's in your presence where where I want to be. Let me see you. Let me be with you. If it's him speaking to her, he may be saying, you can come out of the rocks, you'll be safe and you'll be protected, you'll be cherished. With me. Verse 15 is also one of those verses we're not sure who's speaking to who in this passage. But the speaker says this catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard, for our vineyards are in blossom. She had worked the vineyard. She knew what that was like. She knew that that many times when the grapes were were just beginning to to be on the vine, that young foxes would sneak in and they would take some of those grapes and and diminish the return on those vines. And she's saying to him, or he is saying to us, or again, they are saying to each other, we've got to catch the foxes, the little foxes that will spoil our vineyard. We need to, to do everything, eliminate anything and everything that would hinder the fruit of our relationship from ripening. Every relationship has its challenges. It's two imperfect people coming together trying to form a perfect union. It's two imperfect people that that bring baggage from their past. And one of the things that that we have to do in in order to build a strong relationship is to deal with some of those things in our past and, and be able to eliminate those so that we can then build fresh relationship and a good relationship going forward. Couples that never deal with the little foxes of the past struggle in the present and so she realizes that he realizes that and they're like let's take care of everything we can going forward so that nothing can hinder the 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 fruit that God wants to produce in us and notice it's not just the big foxes but it's the little foxes it's the little things that can spoil the vineyard our relationship is too good they're saying to let anything ruin it. Let's guard it night and day. Let's capture those things and let's, let's eliminate those things from our relationship that would keep us from, from moving forward. Part of the reason is that love protects the relationship. Love honors and respects and protects the other one. It wants to make sure that even when it's difficult, it protects It seeks a long-term pleasure over short-term passions. Here they are at her house. He's come for her, and he's ready to sweep her away and to take her, and they're ready to finalize all those last plans for the wedding. And she says, let's make sure there's nothing, nothing left to do before we go away. And then she says in verse 16, My beloved is mine. And I am his. You know, different couples date different lengths of time before they get married. And for some, they date a long, long time. And for some, it's just a very short time. We had a friend in Lake Charles that uh, was one of my Sunday school teachers uh, when I was uh, a youth minister in Lake Charles. And Tim, you remember uh, Chief Shawa. And uh, Chief Shawa tells a story. He was in the military, and they brought him back on a bus to Lake Charles, and he stepped off the bus, and the first lady he saw, he said, that's going to be my wife. And I think in just a matter of two or three days, they got married and lived together forever until uh, one of them passed away. Met two or three days later, married. This week we had some of my family come to town and, and visit and we were sitting around the table and they wanted to hear how Janet and I met and how long we dated and we kind of told them our little story and enjoyed reflecting back on all that and, and I said, so what about you guys? And they say, well, we met and three months later we were married and they're about to celebrate their 47th uh, wedding anniversary. It took me a lot longer to convince Janet that, uh, that I was the right guy for her. Sometimes it takes a while, sometimes you know right away. But here they are saying, you know what, we have a commitment and there's no reason for us to rush. As much as we want to be together and as much as we desire that day when, when, when we, he comes for me and I can be with him and we can be together forever, I know this, she says, he's already mine and I'm already his. And no amount of time, no amount of weight is going to change that. Sometimes in our relationship with Jesus, we wonder, why doesn't Jesus just come on back? We look at this world and we watch the news and we hear the reports and we see the crime and we look at all the, the stuff, the sin that's in our world, and we think, Lord Jesus, why don't you come? And I don't have an answer for that other than what Peter says in 1 Peter that he's waiting patiently. But here's one thing I do know He is mine and I am His. And however long it takes for us to be able to consummate that relationship in heaven, it will be worth the wait. It will be worth the wait. When Janet and I began to date, I knew early on, I mean, our, our first date, I knew she was the one that I wanted to be with. And it was hard for me to hold back. It was hard for me to not tell her. And so we began this conversation of going, you know, well, when you meet the right guy, what's it going to be like? And what are you looking for? And all the stuff that you do trying to get to know each other. And she said this to me. She said, I told God that I don't want to meet my boyfriend, my husband, until after I graduate medical school. Now, she was first semester college. I'm going, oh, I can do the math. I'm good at math. That's, that's eight, nine years. Oh, my goodness. And I remember looking in her eyes that night. And I knew. And I thought to myself, you've just met him and you don't know it. And this is what I said to her that night. I said, you would be worth the wait. However long I have to wait, you would be worth that. When we picked out our wedding rings, I had that engraved on the inside of her band. and It's still there as a reminder to me that she was worth the wait. Some things in life that are just worth the wait. Why doesn't Jesus come back now? Why doesn't he just take us out of this world and let us go be with him? Why, why is it that sometimes we just linger? Why is it? What's holding him back and keeping him from coming? I don't know. But I say this, he is mine and I am his. And no matter how long we have to wait, it will be worth that wait. And until then, we will graze among the lilies. We will enjoy this relationship that's available to us right now. I will find my satisfaction in him, and I hope that he will find satisfaction in me. And together we will wait until that moment is right. And look at verse 17. It says, until the day breathes and the shadows flee, until this period of of in-betweenness where we are, until this is done away with, we will wait. So she says to her beloved, turn, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft mountains. I'll be content to wait. I want to be with you right now. I want to, to just give myself completely to you. But however long we need to wait, we will wait until it's right. We will wait until the foxes have been caught and, and they won't spoil our vineyard. We will, we will wait for that moment. When I read this portion of scripture, it reminds me of where the Hebrew people were as they sang this song in worship. They are a people who've been delivered from Egypt. Their their king has come and he has rescued them and he has delivered them and he has brought them to the promised land. And now this song is sung every Passover to remind them that they've been chosen and they've been redeemed and that he has brought them to a promised land and yet not everything is done. There is still a a Messiah that's going to come that's going to save them from their sins. He had saved them from slavery, but now he's going to to save them from their sins. And it was a reminder to them that they had been chosen, they had been delivered, and that He was providing everything for them. The promised Messiah would come. This is a reminder of how close they were getting to the coming Messiah. He says the winter is past. The the rains are over. The flowers are appearing. The time of singing has come. They needed to prepare themselves as they waited for this coming Messiah No more hiding, no more fears, no more foxes. The time to prepare themselves as his bride had come. And they could hear him saying to them, come, come away with me. That's where they were as this song was sung in their church service. It was a reminder that God has done so much, but there is still so much more to come. It's a reminder to us as well as we live on this side of the cross that that Jesus has come and that he has died and that he has paid the price so that we can be in a relationship with God, so that our sins can be forgiven, our guilt can be erased, that you and I can be put into a right relationship with Jesus. It's a reminder that we live in between two worlds as well. This moment where Christ came and paid it all, this moment where he declared us to be righteous and holy and pleasing in the sight of God, and yet it's not all that it's going to be. There's coming a day. When Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, he will take us to be with him forever. And, and, and if you listen, and if you look, you can see that it's not far. You can look and you can listen and realize that, that we are living in the now and yet, not yet. That he is coming again soon. You say, what's holding him back? Look at what 1 Peter, Second Peter says to us. 2 Peter chapter 3, it's a long quote, but let me read it to you. And you listen to the language and the love of God that flows through this. And maybe we would understand just a little bit better why it is that he hasn't broken through the skies and taken his bride to be with him forever. Listen to this. Peter writes, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and of the commandments of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, well, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Here's what they're saying. Well, y'all been saying for 2,000 years, Christians, that Jesus is coming back. Where is he? Where is he? Why isn't he here? And they will deliberately overlook the fact that the heavens existed long ago. God's been in this process a long, long time. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, that by the means of this, this, this world, that then existed was deluged with water and perished but by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly so he's saying listen god's been at work for a long long time and god's not finished yet he he created then he destroyed he's recreated if you will and he's going again one day by fire to destroy this world but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the lord One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is Jesus so slow in coming back? He says God is being patient with those who've yet to repent, with those who've yet to come into relationship with Jesus. What's holding him back? It's not laziness. It's not slothfulness. It's not that he's taking a long winter's nap. It's that he is giving time for one more person to come into the kingdom, for one more person to be added to the church, which is his bride. He's waiting for for, for the, the final soul to be saved, the last one who will come to come. His promises are not slow, as some people count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But, he says, the day of the Lord will come, and it will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are, that are done on it will be exposed. And since all of these all these things are, are thus to be dissolved. What sorts of people ought you to be? In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's the place he's preparing for us. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. To be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. There's the bride in her home, anxiously waiting and preparing herself for the coming of the, the, the groom. Be found waiting and, 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 and be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And at peace. Here's our responsibility now. You're in relationship with Jesus already. It's your responsibility now to live in such a way that, that you're preparing yourself to be that spotless bride. So that when Jesus comes, there's, there's no spot, there's no wrinkle, there's no blemish. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Why is God lingering Because he loves the world so much, he wants to give you one more chance to give your heart to Jesus. He wants to give us chance as believers to purify ourselves through the working of His Holy Spirit, and to be a bride that is spotless and and ready and radiant for Him. We've looked the last couple weeks at that passage in Ephesians five, but I encourage you to look at that again. That Jesus laid down His life for the church in order that he might present her as a radiant bride, spotless and without blemish. He came. He's given us his love, his commitment, his promise. But he's giving us time to prepare. He's giving others time to repent. And he is preparing his bride, the church, to get ready for his return. So how do we live today in light of that? Revelation 22. The last few words of Scripture. In verse 17, it says the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And then he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecies. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city in which you're described in this book. But look at this. But he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. This is Christ speaking to his church. Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. It's settled. And then our response is come, Lord Jesus, come. We ought to live with this expectation. We ought to have our hearts saying out to the Lord each day, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to be with you forever. But until that day comes, here's what we do. We abide in Him. John chapter 15 shows us what our responsibility is as we wait for our Savior. Jesus, as He's preparing His disciples, He just said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you in chapter 14. And now in chapter 15, He paints this word picture of Him being the vine and we are the branches. And He says these words in verses 4 through 7. Look what He says, 4 through 9. Abide in me, and I in you. Sounds a lot like this. He is mine, and I am his, right? As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. For by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. That's where we're to live in this in-between time, is connected to him, in relationship to him, listening for his voice, looking for his return, and, and preparing ourselves to be the bride that is spotless and is ready. We will not be perfect this side of eternity, but when we fail and when we fall, we can seek God's forgiveness, and we can ask him to cleanse us by his grace and by his forgiveness. We look to him for everything that we need to sustain us, to empower us, and to use us to tell others. If part of the reason that Jesus has not come back is to give the world the opportunity to repent and to come to him, don't you think that as his bride, we ought to be making him known to the world? We've got to share what he's done. We need to tell the world that the winter is past and the harvest is near, that they need to come to him and abide in him. Perhaps you're one here today who has maybe grown up in church. Maybe you have come to church for the very first time. But maybe you don't have this relationship with Jesus yet. You've got information and you've begun to see and to hear who he is and and what he is like. But maybe you don't have that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're one of the ones for whom he has been waiting. Maybe you're one of the ones for whom he has delayed his second coming to give you opportunity to repent and to come back to him and to have him as your savior and your Lord. Today is that opportunity. Today is that chance for you to come and to experience God's love and his grace and his forgiveness. For you to hear that he has called you to be his bride, his chosen one, who will, like the rest of us, long for his return as we wait and we watch. If that's you today, would you come? Come, as he calls us in this passage. Arise and come. Come away with me. Your Savior has come. He has paid the price for you. And now his invitation to you is to come. To come to him. And to live with him. And to live for him for the rest of your days. I don't know how long it will be before Jesus comes but I want to be ready, and I want to be spotless, and I want to be looking and listening for his return so that when he comes, I can celebrate with him, and I can, my bags will be packed, and I will be ready to go. I pray you live that same way with that same expectation. Would you pray with me this morning?